Hello, this is Pastor Matthew. I just want to take a moment personally to say thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. Our mission is to impact the valley and bless the nations with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We encourage you to go check out our website at crosslinkva.com. By doing so, you can learn all about the ministries of Crosslink and how we're involved in the community. Please know we're praying for you. God bless you. If you have your Bible today, I want to ask you to take it and open it with me to the book of Galatians, Galatians chapter six, for our time together here this morning, Galatians chapter six. As you turn there, I want to ask you a simple question. Fact of the matter is I can probably answer it for most. It seems innocent. And yet at the same time, God gives us great instruction depending on the answer to this question. Here's the question. Today, are you burdened? Are you burdened today? Do you have burdens in your heart and life that are pressing on you and weighing you down? Fact of the matter is this morning, I don't know every situation of our lives. I don't know every thought of our heart. I don't know every background or every current situation that you may be going through, but there are many of us today facing burdens. Some of us today, because of the news that Governor Northam has issued this week, some of us because of situations completely unrelated to that, some of us our own health challenges along the way, family situations, relational situations, there are some heavy burdens in our life. But God gives us a great word of instruction about what to do with those burdens. And we see that clearly listed in Galatians chapter six. Now we've been going over the last several months now through a series entitled One Another, where we've been reminded in the body of Christ what it means to love one another. Remember, Jesus said the greatest commandment was to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. But the second commandment was like unto it, and that is to love our neighbor as ourself. We have to have a relationship with God first where we love him with all of our entire being. But out of that love relationship with God, we should love one another. The fact of the matter is you cannot love God without loving one another and you can't love one another well without a relationship where you love God. In Galatians chapter six, Paul gives us a very powerful picture to remind us of our relationship and our care for one another in the body of Christ. Fact of the matter is this morning, as I think about that calling to love one another, I'm reminded that much in our culture that we call love is not really love at all. It's easy maybe for a guy to be attracted to a girl and they go out on a few dates and finally the time comes where he looks at her and he says, oh, I love you. And, and he may genuinely love her, but more times than not, maybe because of attraction, he likes certain things about her, he sees certain things that are appealing, and so he declares love before he may really even know what love really is. The same may be true in that relationship where the young lady might look back at the young man and, and she might say, you, you make me feel good, you compliment me, you show care for me, and so I love you. And that may be true, but more times than not, what we call love is not necessarily the same as what God calls love. Love is best demonstrated through faithful, selfless, sacrificial actions. Love, in other words, is not about self. It's about the good of another. It promotes others and not self. It builds up others and not self. This type of love endures. 1 Corinthians 13 says it this way. Love is patient. Love is kind and is not jealous. 
Love does not brag and is not arrogant. It does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. It is not provoked. Love does not take into account a wrong suffered. Love does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but it rejoices with the truth. Love, this type of love, godly love, pure love, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. And by now, people are sitting back, well, yeah, absolutely. I hear that at every wedding I go to, right? These are the descriptions of love between a husband and a wife. Well, that's a wonderful application. But here's a wonderful truth of this pastor scripture. 1 Corinthians 13 is not speaking about a marriage relationship. In fact, the context of 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is talking about how we love one another in the body of Christ. In fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the Bible talks about how we are members of one another, that when you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're forgiven and you're cleansed and you're brought into this family of God, this body of believers where we each are members of it. 1 Corinthians 14 talks about our spiritual gifts and how we serve in the body of Christ. So in between becoming a part of the body of Christ and serving in the body of Christ, God shows us how we love one another in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. In other words, I believe what God is wanting us to see today is that loving God is best demonstrated in our love for one another. And in Galatians chapter six, that picture of the body of Christ has a very huge significance in how we relate with one another in this instruction. Galatians chapter six this morning. I wanna preach to you on the subject, bear one another's burdens. Bear one another's burdens. If you're physically able, will you stand to your feet for the reading of God's word? Verse one We see the first word, Paul's word, we've seen it a hundred times already, brethren. What does that mean? Family, brothers and sisters together, brethren. Even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, listen to this word, restore, huge word in this text, such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. Verse two, bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But each one must examine his own work and then he will have reason for boasting in regard to himself alone and not in regard to another. For each one will bear his own load. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for this morning and for this time together. I thank you for this calling to bear one another's burdens. Father, we recognize that many of us are burdened today. Many of us have heavy weights, literally that are holding us down. And God, I pray today that today would be a a day of deliverance. So Father, whatever hindrances are in the way, whatever distractions are in the way, would you remove them, break down the barriers, that today would be a day that we can leave here set free and walking in victory from this day forward. We pray it all in Jesus' name and for his glory, amen. God bless you, you may be seated this morning. Bear one another's burdens. I imagine today that every single one of us in some way, shape or form have heard the statement or understood the principle of bearing one another's burdens. 
In fact, I imagine that you probably envision the same type of thing that, that others that I have asked this week have envisioned. And that is when we hear that phrase, bearing one another, we typically envision someone who is weighted down with the worries of life. They're weighted down with the cares and concerns. They literally can't bear it up by themselves. And as a result of that, we come alongside of them, we support them, we strengthen them, and we help them to bear the weight that they are under. That word for bear here literally means to shoulder something. Maybe you have seen a friend before who was carrying something and it was heavy and they were straining to get it into their dorm room or they were straining to get it into the house as they were moving and you saw them from a distance and you ran up and you helped them to carry the load wherever they were going to. That's kind of the, the picture here when God says bear one another's burdens. What God is reminding us in the body of Christ is this. There are no Lone Ranger Christians. The fact of the matter is you will not be healthy and you will not grow to be the person that God wants you to be without the help of godly people in your life that you pour into and they pour into you. We need each other in our life. The fact of the matter is though that there are many who try to go it alone. There are many who try to do things on their own, maybe because of their pride. They think, hey, I got this, I can do this. Maybe someone's embarrassed by their past and so they don't wanna open up to someone. Maybe they're afraid that somebody would reject them and hurt them again. And so they kind of keep everyone at a distance and they don't allow others in to bear their burdens. But I remind you this morning, the Bible says whether you like it or not, we are not only a part of the body of Christ, but if you're a follower of Jesus, we are members of one another. That means in Christ, you relate to me and I relate to you. You belong to me and like it or not, I belong to you. For better or worse, you're stuck with me as a brother in Christ. And the Bible says in that relationship, we should care for one another. First Corinthians 12 says it this way. God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to the member which lacked so that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. And if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. For now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. Do you hear those words? When one suffers, we all suffer. When one rejoices, we all rejoice. Why? Because we are connected to one another in the body of Christ. Many people hear this phrase from Galatians chapter six, bear one another's burdens, and they simply hear the biblical principle. And to be clear, this biblical principle stands on its own. It really does. That as a believer in Christ, we are called to bear one another's burdens. There might be a lot of different things burdening you today. You might be burdened about a relationship. You might be burdened about your financial situation. You might be burdened because your job is completely uncertain. You might be burdened because your health is not in a good place and the doctors don't have a good report. You might be burdened because of this pandemic and the restrictions that are driving you nuts. You might be burdened about wondering whether or not we're gonna be able to meet next Sunday. You might be burdened about whether or not Jesus is gonna come back this week. Even so, come Lord Jesus. You might be burdened about a lot of different things. The Bible says we're to bear one another's burdens. The Bible says that our bearing one another's burdens proves something about us. It proves something about our love for the Lord Jesus Christ. Because the Bible says in verse two, bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. What is the law of Christ? Jesus said it clearly in John 15 verses 12 and 17. This is my commandment that you what? Love one another just as I have loved you. This I command you that you love one another. This instruction to bear one another's burdens stands alone. It stands on its own and in the context of our application. 
But we cannot dismiss the context in which Paul is speaking of when he gives this instruction to bear one another's burdens. Yes, it's true, we shouldn't go it alone. Yes, it's true, you don't have to go through your burdens alone. But when Paul gives this instruction, bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ, Paul is not just speaking about a general principle, even though it stands. He's speaking of a very specific context that we find in verses one through five. In fact, when Paul gives this instruction to bear one another's burdens, he does this right on the heels of what he has said in Galatians chapter five, verses 16 through 25. I wanna encourage you this week, mark it down in your Bible, this week, maybe this afternoon, go read Galatians five, verses 16 through 25. And what you'll find is this. Paul is describing the works of the flesh and the works of the spirit. The works of the flesh of the individual who's living their life not for God, not by leading of the Holy Spirit. They're living their life for themselves. They're living their life given to what they want, their pleasures, their priorities, their pursuits versus the life that is led by the Holy Spirit of God. And it's in that context that Paul now says, brethren, brothers and sisters, bear one another's burdens. The fact is that It's oftentimes in church that people read Galatians chapter five, verses 18 and following, these works of the flesh. And in that moment, it's easy for us to kind of be like captain critics walking around trying to determine if people are doing these things. And if they're doing these things, that must mean that they are not a Christian. But I believe what God is wanting us to see in Galatians chapter six is that there are many brethren, brothers and sisters in Christ, who stumble along the way. They struggle. That today, literally, they're caught in trespasses and sin and they have a burden upon them and they need help. What do you do with that type of burden? What should we do when a brother or sister is living in sin against God? How should we treat them? How should we handle the situation? God says in that context, bear one another's burdens. So this morning from Galatians chapter six, there's really two points of the message and two people that God addresses. I'm gonna call them the burden sharers and the burden bearers. The burden sharers and the burden bearers. And I wanna ask you today as you hear the message and read the text to consider which one are you? Are you a burden sharer or a burden bearer today? The first thing I want you to see this morning is this. There is a word for the burden sharers in verses one and two a word for the burden sharers. This instruction to bear one of those burdens is directly connected to the person that's being spoken of in verse one, when he says this, if anyone is caught in any trespass, if anyone is caught in any trespass, please understand this word caught does not mean as believers that we're to be walking around examining other people's actions, trying to catch them in the act. That's not what it means. The only person that did that in Jesus's day were the Pharisees. And I'll let you go ahead and read this week what Jesus said about the Pharisees. The Pharisees were the ones that said, we've caught this woman in the very act of sin. How do they do that? They did it because they had trapped her, they had tricked her and they watched with their judgmental self-righteous eyes trying to find someone to oppress. The Bible says when it speaks of this person caught in a trespass and sin, the word caught here literally means to be overtaken by surprise. It envisions the one that has been tangled and trapped all of a sudden. There are many who 
profess faith in Christ. Many who walk with the Lord for a season. And then due to temptations of their own flesh, due to situations they were not anticipating, they went a wrong direction, they got off the path, they gave into a temptation, and suddenly they are tangled and they're caught and they are trapped. The picture here that I think of when I hear this word of suddenly being overtaken in sin, I'm not much of a movie buff, maybe you are, but I imagine most of us have probably seen a movie where some unsuspecting soul is walking through the woods They might be walking carelessly or they might be walking carefully, but they're walking through and then all of a sudden they take a step and when they do, something comes from underneath the leaves and underneath their footing and suddenly they are caught up in a net and they're taken up to the top of the tree. Anybody ever seen that before? Thank God that has not happened to me, all right? I'd probably die of a heart attack right then and there. Uh, But no, they take that step and suddenly they're brought up and they're captured and they're literally trapped and the only thing they can do in that moment is cry out for help and help. Somebody help me, get me out of this mess. What God is describing is this. There are some brethren, brothers and sisters in the body of Christ that are walking along and due to their temptations and due to their struggles, for whatever reason, they give into that sin and suddenly they're caught like in that net where they're literally caught up, trapped, entangled in their sin. It's then that God looks in verse one and he says this, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Now remember that image when the Bible says that in Christ, you are the body of Christ, you're members of one another. That's so important when you hear this word restore. The word restore for that individual means literally this. It means to mend as a net or to restore a broken bone. Remember, we're brought into the body of Christ. We are literally members of his body, so to speak. We each are a part of it. And now what God is saying is this, those who get caught up in trespasses, those who get caught in sin, they become like a a broken bone, maybe a dislocated joint. They're still a part of the body, but they're wounded. They're, They're hurt. There's a sensitivity there. There's limitations on what they can bring or do. Why? Because just like the, that, that broken bone, there's a brokenness that's happened. There's a, a distance that's taking place. There's a pain that's taking place in their life. I'm reminded being that illustration of the body of Christ that when you experience an injury at one part of your body, it doesn't just impact that part. It impacts all the parts, doesn't it? I remember years ago, I was at a church picnic and we were playing a football game and I collided with someone and I, and I injured my knee. I limped over to the sidelines and, and I toughed it out because I knew if I couldn't get back on that field, our team was gonna lose. And I went back on that field and I finished the game and I was excited to how it finished and all went really well until the next day I couldn't put weight on it and could not walk. And I remember going to the doctor and the doctor telling me what was wrong. And I remember him giving me a brace and giving me crutches. And I quickly began to realize over the next three, four or five days, over the next few weeks, it wasn't just my knee that was hurting, but my other leg began to hurt. And because of the way I was having to pick myself up, I began to realize I had muscles in my sides I never knew existed. My arms were hurt, my back, I mean, my entire, within two weeks, my entire body was aching all over. Why? Because one joint was injured. What the Bible's talking about is this simple picture here is that when a person is called trespasses and sin, it's like a broken bone, like a dislocated joint that's gotta be reset. And the process of that is, that is it affects the entire body. I believe according to scripture that there are many in the body of Christ who today need to be restored. 
There are many in the body of Christ. Frankly, maybe the sin took place this past week. Maybe it was a year ago. Maybe it was 20 and 30 years ago, but they've taken that sin and instead of taking it to God, instead of taking it to a brother or sister in Christ who could love them and pray for them, encourage them, hold them accountable, they just kind of swallowed it down and they hid it as if it'll just go away. If somebody else knows, they'll never accept me. God can never forgive me. I can't even forgive myself. And they allow themselves to be that broken bone or that dislocated joint. And, they, and as a result, they end up floundering. They spend their wills, never fully living up to what God intends for them. God paints for us a powerful, powerful picture of the brother or sister in Christ who's lost their joy in their relationship with Christ. They today live with guilt and shame over things that might have been done years ago. They question whether God could forgive them. They question whether brothers or sisters in Christ could ever accept them. They stay distant, sometimes physically, but always relationally because the enemy convinces them that they are unlovable and that it is best for all parties if they just stay away. What should you do if you are a broken bone? What should you do if you are the brother or sister who is caught in a trespass, entrapped, if you will? Here's what you should do. I know it's hard. I know it seems like the last thing you want to do, but it's the thing God calls you to do. Here's what you do. You share it. You share it with the Lord in repentance of your sin, but you also share it with a brother or sister in Christ who can bear that burden with you. James chapter five, verse 16 says it this way. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. And it's in that context that we hear the promise. For the effective fervent prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. But, but please understand, that's the last thing the enemy wants you to do. The enemy wants to keep you bound. The enemy wants you to believe that no one will understand. The enemy wants you to believe that God can't set you free, that you can't have victory. And so as a result of that, the enemy wants to keep it all in the dark and keep it all hidden. And as a result of that, people can flounder for years. I mean, decades and decades. What God is calling you to do is this. He's wanting you to share it. He's wanting you to bring it out of the light. And so when you bring it in the light with his grace and with his mercy, he can deliver you and set you free. Many of us are content to stay bound. Well, what, do you, what do you need to do if you are to share it with, with others? I wanna say three things you've gotta do. First, you need to be humble. It takes great humility to acknowledge our sin and to acknowledge our need. Be humble. It may be that a brother or sister in Christ has come and confronted you over concerns that they have. Be humble. Receive it and respond in humility. It may be that God is convicting you over sin and it may be something that happened a long time ago. Be humble, not boasting of what was done, but walking in humility. Here's how James says it in James chapter four, verses six through 10. He says, God is opposed to the proud. The word opposed literally means that God rejects. The word that was used in the Greek culture was literally describing a, a hand that is given in, in kind of rejection, a football term, he stiff arms you. God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Submit therefore to God, resist the devil, he'll flee from you. Draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter return in the morning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord and he will exalt you. 
picture of exalting there is God is saying, I will lift you. I will lift you out of that pit of despair. I will lift you out of that pit of shame and guilt. I will lift you out of those things as you humble yourself before me and before others. Humble yourself before the Lord and seek his grace and deliverance. Humble yourself before man and seek a brother or sister in Christ that will love you and encourage you, pray for you, hold you accountable as you seek to walk in victory. Yes, it takes humility. I'm convinced that there are many people like a broken bone or a dislocated joint in the body of Christ who've likely been in that state for years because they simply have continually given into their pride instead of humbling themselves. We rarely call it pride because it masks itself in fear and insecurity. It masks itself in busyness and sometimes even in serving. It masks itself in a place of of a lack of understanding, but it is usually pride that hinders us from experiencing the deliverance and the joy that we so desperately long for and need. The enemy will do all that he can to keep us bound, even if that means feeding us with lies and feeding us with pride to hinder us from saying yes to the Lord and humbling ourselves. Let me illustrate that. Years ago, I was pastoring in Christiansburg. We were still in our old building at the time and there was a lady who began attending the church. She had been attending for three or four weeks at this time. And um, I still remember the biblical principle that I was preaching on this particular Sunday, but I remember preaching and after the service, she asked if she could talk with me. And so we, we literally sat down on the front pew of this little chapel and she began to try to tell me what she was dealing with. And to be honest with you, she was sobbing so uncontrollably it was very difficult to understand everything that she was saying. There were several times, she was so overcome with emotion, there were several times I would have to say, just take a breath, just breathe. She went on to tell me about how her grandfather had been a preacher, how she was raised in a Christian home, how she professed faith in Christ at a young age, how she met a young man, how she got married. She had great dreams of life being wonderful and grand and marriage being amazing and all these different things, but things didn't turn out the way that she anticipated. And in the the process of that, she met someone at work and no one knew it. But she had begun an affair. She began to spend a lot of time away from home with this other man that she worked with and While she was having this affair, her husband one day had an unexpected heart attack and passed away suddenly. And as she began to tell me the story about how she believed that God was judging her and how God hated her and how God despised her and that's why he took her husband. She knew she had sinned and so she, she, she broke off the affair. She broke off that relationship and she came back to church and she cried out to God for God to forgive her and for God to cleanse her. But she told me literally, I didn't think God even heard me. It didn't feel like God even cared. Like how could God forgive me? She left church that day almost 30 years later and she'd never been back in church before until she started attending our church. And as she's telling me, what she's telling me is literally God's judging me and God can't forgive me and and I can't have peace. And as she's literally in this moment now aging, she's wondering, could God ever do anything with my life? She had never told anybody. She had lived in that moment for almost 30 years as she's put this in the deep, dark recesses of her heart and mind and she's had no peace. She's had no joy and no victory for almost 30 years. And as she shared, as God is my witness, I'm talking with her. And out of the corner of my eye, I see another lady in our worship center, our little chapel that day. I see another lady there. She was waiting to talk with someone else and it was like God just placed her there in that moment. 
because I knew the other lady's testimony and I knew what God had set her free from. And so I listened to this lady share and I called the other lady over. So will you come over for a moment? She said, sure. I introduced the two and I said, will you tell her what you just told me? And she looked at me like I could never, I said, just tell her what you just told me. And she told that lady the same story she had just told me. In a matter of five minutes, she had just told two brothers, a brother and a sister in Christ, something she'd hidden for 30 years. Can I tell you my last five years in ministry in Christiansburg, one of the most delightful, enjoyable experiences of my life was watching that sister get involved in the church, studying God's word, getting involved in the women's ministry. By the time we left, she was not only faithfully involved, but she had grown to such a place, she was in a position of leadership in that very ministry. You say, why? Because when we humble ourselves and bring into light what the enemy's trying to hide, God delivers and sets free. Be humble. Secondly, be honest. Be honest. There is no way that you can be set free without the truth. Jesus said, you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. It demands that we are truthful about our sin. David came to a place of understanding about this. David, the great king, at a time when kings were at war, he neglected his responsibility. Instead of being at war, doing what he was supposed to do, he was instead one night on the rooftop of his house and he noticed a beautiful woman bathing. Her name was Bathsheba. He called for servants to bring her to his room. He spent the night with her. She quickly found out she was pregnant. David then in that moment had a decision. Do I repent of my sin? Do I confess before God? Do I confess before man or do I cover it up? You know what he decided? He decided to do what most of us decided to do. I'm gonna cover it up. The Bible tells us that David called for Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, to come all the way back from the front line of battles. The Bible tells us that David did everything that he could to get Uriah to go home to be with his wife. But frankly, Uriah had more integrity than the king. While his men were facing battle and conflict, he refused to live in luxury and in pleasure. And so he refused to go home. And the Bible says the very next day that when David sent Uriah back, he didn't send him back to battle. He had literally a written direction to give Uriah to the front line of battle. David knew he was literally sentencing Uriah to death. Soon as Uriah died, he took Bathsheba to be his wife and suddenly she's pregnant. Shock. David thought he had smoothed it over. He thought he had covered up everything. He thought everything was fine. Nobody will ever know. Proverbs chapter 28, verse 13 tells us this. He who covers his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will find compassion. Numbers 23 says it this way. Be sure your sin will find you out. He thought he had it covered. Nobody would ever know until God told somebody by the name of Nathan, a prophet to go confront David. Nathan goes to David. Nathan gives David this really cool story, this illustration. What should happen to the man that's done this evil thing? And David, thinking he's talking about someone else, says his life should be taken. He should suffer the consequences. And Nathan looked at David and said, David, thou art the man. Can I just tell you, there's a lot of guys today that want to hear, you're the man. But when it comes to God's judgment... You don't want to hear you're the man. And literally God speaks through Nathan the prophet and says, David, because of this act, because you've covered your sin, because you've hidden it, because you and your pride thought you could get away with it, because of this, literally the sword and deceit will not depart from your household. And you can go study the entire lineage after David and you'll find from one generation to the next, there is corruption and deceit and murder all the way. I mean, all the, it's crazy all the way through. 
Why? Because he who covers his sins will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will, have compa- will find compassion. Be honest if you are the one bearing the burden of sin. Finally, be hopeful. If you are the one bearing the burden of sin, be hopeful. I meant to share this. Let me turn back for just a moment. Psalm 51. You think David learned something about being truthful? After Nathan confronted David, listen to David's prayer of repentance in Psalm 51. Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness. According to the greatness of your compassion, blot out my transgressions. Father, God, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. He's being truthful now. Against you and you only I have sinned. I've done what's evil in your sight so that you're justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. Listen to this. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and sin my mother conceived me. And listen to this confession. Behold, you desire truth in the innermost being and in the hidden part, you will make me know wisdom. Purify me with hyssop, I shall be clean. Wash me, I'll be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness. Remember that picture of a bone that's broken or a joint that's out of place? Let the bones which you have broken rejoice. Some of you some of you today struggling and caught in sin and you're thinking, man, it's been so long since I've rejoiced. Can I ever have joy restored? And the answer to that is yes. David prays, hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. David understood the importance of being honest and that then led him to that place of being hopeful that God might forgive, that God might restore, that God might renew his joy. I want you to know this morning, I don't care what the struggle is. I don't care what the addiction is. I don't care what's private and what's hidden, but here's what I want you to know. If you repent of your sins and you turn to the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm telling you today, you can be forgiven. You can be set free. You can be delivered. Be hopeful because the same God who made you and the same God who made a way for you to be saved can set you free. Being hopeful that you can be set free from this trespass, being hopeful that you can be restored in a right relationship with God and with man. You can walk in victory, but please understand there is a promise to claim and there is a path to choose. Paul said it this way in Romans chapter six, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. You do not have to be a slave to sin. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus Therefore, don't let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lust. Don't go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and present your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Here's the promise. For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. If you today are carrying the burden of sin, share it with the Lord and with a brother or sister in Christ who can encourage you, support you, pray for you, and help you to walk in victory today. The second thing I want you to see from this text is not only a word to the burden sharer, but there is next a word for the burden bearer. Maybe you're here this morning and you would say, Pastor, I'm not caught in a sin. I once was, but I've been set free. I'm not in that place anymore. If that's the case, I say, to God be the glory. You say, Pastor, I'm not in that place. At the least, my hope in explaining that is for you and I to have a better picture 
of what the burdened brother or sister is going through. That burdened brother or sister that's bearing the burden of sin are likely being tormented by the guilt and the shame that they are experiencing moment by moment, day by day. That picture of that burden literally is of one that is so weighed down and so suppressing that their focus is down. They literally can hardly even lift their eyes. They have no hope for the future. That that picture is of one of, of constant agony. So God gives a word of instruction to those who would come alongside and shoulder that burden. Now, now I want to back up for just a moment to say when Paul gives these words, because the majority of this instruction in verses one through five is to those that are being called to bear the burdens of others in this context. Please hear this loud and clear. When Paul penned these words to the churches of Galatia, he was writing this to what many scholars believe to be the most legalistic church of the New Testament. Legalistic in the sense that there were many in the church who began to add to the gospel and began to say, yes, you've got to believe in Jesus, but you have to also do these other things. You can't do this, but you must do this. You can't eat this, but you must eat this. You can't enjoy that celebration, but you must enjoy that celebration. And that's what they begin to add to the gospel. That's why Paul says so much about the simplicity of the gospel in the book of Galatians. It's in that exact context that Paul begins to speak these words to the legalist. Why? Because the legalist always tears down a brother to make himself look good. The legalist puts himself above others as if he could never do anything wrong, much less something that bad. The legalist likes to boast of their own godliness, but knows nothing of practicing grace. And so it's in that background that Paul now gives these words of instruction for how we care for the brother dealing with a burden instead of condemning the brother dealing with the burden. Five words I want you to see. First is this, I want you to consider the condition that we must maintain. The condition that we must maintain. It may be that you as a concerned brother or sister in Christ have practiced Matthew 18 and you've gone to a brother or sister and you've confronted them in sin. It may be that you've prayed for someone and they have come to you to share this burden. It may be that somebody completely out of the blue brought a concern to you. Regardless, there are five things in here. It starts with this, there's a condition to maintain. In other words, there's something that God gives us a word to describe us. Here it is in verse one. He says, brethren, if anyone is caught in trespass, you who are spiritual. And the word spiritual takes on a lot of meanings in our day today. I was in... Lowe's, uh, I think it was Lowe's here recently and I was in a store and I saw someone who's a brother in Christ in our church and he waved me down and said, hello. He said, hey, I want you to meet my buddy over here. Here's how I describe his buddy. My buddy's a real spiritual guy. That's what he said. So I picked, I said, what does it mean that you're spiritual? He's like, I go to church. I'm like, okay. Going to church does not make you spiritual, okay? You're not sitting in a spiritual seat today, right? You might sing spiritual songs. You might amen spiritual statements. You might be in a spiritual environment, but that doesn't make you quote unquote spiritual, The word spiritual here is referring to what happens in Galatians chapter five, verses 16 and verse 25, when the Bible talks about the importance of walking by the spirit. In other words, if you are spiritual, you are walking by the leadership, control, and influence of the Holy Spirit. 
I'm not walking by the flesh. I'm not living for myself. I'm not doing what I want to do. I'm walking with a sensitivity to the leading of God. I'm walking in such a way that when the Holy Spirit leads me, I say yes. When the Holy Spirit convicts me, I, I confess. When the Holy Spirit leads me to do something, I mean, it, it, that's kind of the picture. Uh, it said it this way in your notes. To walk in the Spirit means that we are to be thinking on his word, following his lead, yielded to his control, and allowing him to influence our lives daily. We gotta walk by the Spirit. It doesn't mean just going to church. It means that we're living a life completely sensitive to and surrendered to the Lord's leading in our life. That is an absolute thing that we must make sure is true in our life if we're gonna bear the burdens of another. Secondly, there is a calling to fulfill. What does he say? You who are spiritual, simple word, restore such a one. Restore such a one. Your broken bone, your dislocated joint is not going to heal properly if it's left unattended. Now, things will happen and things will start to gel together, but there's gonna be a permanent issue there if it's not properly cared for. Some say, well, Pastor, how can I restore someone that's called in sin? How can I personally do that? Well, you personally can't, but here's what you can do. You can pray for them. You can pray for God to soften their heart. You can pray for God to draw them back to himself. You can go to them, according to Matthew chapter 18. You can, the Bible says in Matthew 18, 15, if your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. God is giving us here a picture of love and care for another, where we go to them, we present our concerns on the basis of scripture. We pray, we let the Holy Spirit work and move. The entire goal of that, the Bible says, is to win them. It's the same visual image here of restoring them so that the broken bone can be reset and be nurtured to health, wholeness, and effectiveness again. Third thing I want you to see is this. We're gonna kind of park here for the next two. I want you to consider the compassion that we must show. What does he say? Restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Pause for just a moment. What God is showing us here is the care and the compassion that we should show to a brother or a sister who has stumbled along the way. Now remember, Paul is speaking this to a church where there were many legalists. No doubt people that were coming in say, I can't believe you would do this. I can't believe this terrible decision that you made. I told you this was gonna happen. That'll really help you when you're down, let me just tell you. I, I, I can't speak for you, but I, I imagine most of us here today have had some form of injury in our life. I remember playing baseball, I was 14 years old. And I remember the first time I, I had an injury specifically to my hands. I remember at 14 years old, I'm playing baseball and, and I played, uh, and, oh, we've got some friends here that, were, that are part of our church watching online right now that came here from Taylor Road Baptist Church in Montgomery, Alabama. I played baseball at the Taylor Road ball fields, hit my first home run there many years ago. 14 years old, I'll never forget stepping up to the batter's box and looking at the pitcher on the mound. His name was Bobby Huddleston. He was straight, not from heaven, okay? He, he was a great, great pitcher. He had the best fastball in the entire league. He ended up playing at Auburn University years later and he could throw that ball hard. But one thing about Bobby was this, his dad was his coach and if his coach talked and as soon as cool, Bobby had little control. The batter right before me, he walked. And as soon as he walked the guy, his coach, his dad started letting him have it. I remember at 14 years old, getting in the batter's box, terrified, literally praying, God, if I make it out alive, we'll be good, you know? 
I, I literally inch myself into the batter's box and I'm literally praying and hoping for the best because I'm terrified of this fastball. I know it's coming and I know there's little I can do about it. I'm just hoping to get out alive. And I remember fourth or fifth pitch at the at bat. I remember a fastball coming so high towards my head. I remember falling back. And all, the next thing I know is I know that ball hit me and literally it cracked my thumb so loud the umpire thought it was a foul ball. Honest story. When I took my batter's glove off, the umpire changed his mind. He let me go to first base. I went right to first base. The coach put in a pinch runner. I walked right off the field and went straight to the emergency room. I'll never forget it. The other thing I'll never forget is this. I remember going to the emergency room that day. And as soon as I walked in, the doctor on call came over, said, son, what happened? We're in baseball. baseball. I mean, he knows I'm an athlete, right? He knows I'm playing ball. And I'm like, man, I, I'm, I'm sure my thumb's broken. He didn't ask me any other questions. Here's what he did. He came right to my hand and he yanked my thumb the other direction. <laughs> yep, it's broke. <laughs> no kidding, moron. You know, like, come on. I will never forget that doctor because... Every other time I got injured and went to the emergency room, guess who was the first doctor to welcome me? Doctor straight from Hades, that's who it was. And every time I asked for another doctor, why? Because there was no gentleness or care. If we would show gentleness and care to a wounded, broken bone, how much more should we show care to a wounded soul in a broken life. There's a compassion that we must show. It's not about us being right. It's about us being the hands and feet of Jesus in that moment. Fourth, I want you to consider the caution we must take. Listen closely, and I'm gonna wrap up here in just a moment. The caution that we must take. Paul gives us a word of caution. You cannot ignore it. You cannot dismiss this. Please, 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 if you're a brother or sister in Christ and God's calling you alongside to bear someone else's burdens, please don't miss this. Verse Verse one, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Listen, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. It's easy in that moment to be so focused on someone else that you kind of self-righteously look at yourself and think, hey, I'm doing pretty good here. It's easy in that moment to be so caught up in the process of ministering to someone. Please understand, it's easy for us to miss this. When we bear one another's burdens, it usually is messy. It's messy because you're dealing with sin. You're dealing with issues that have been hidden in the dark sometimes for a long time. And as those things come into the light, it gets messy. There are poor choices and there are consequences as a result of that. And it gets messy, but it also gets messy because of this. As you begin to, begin to understand things, as truth begins to come out, in that very moment of ministering and pouring out and giving and serving, at that very moment, here's what's happening. When you rush into the battlefield to help the wounded, here's what the enemy's doing. He is flinging fiery dart after another, after another. And while you're taking time to minister, he's just letting them hurl, letting them hurl. Someone say, man, how can all these pastors fall morally? That seems like a pandemic in itself across the globe. How is this happening? It's happening many times because they're rushing in to minister and they're pouring out and they're giving out and they're not aware in that moment that the enemy is just letting the, letting the fiery darts fly. That's what's happening. When you, are burden, when you are bearing another's burdens related to sin, you must be on guard against every scheme that the Satan will bring against you. 
Spurgeon used to tell his students many years ago something like this. When you have a member who criticizes you, just rejoice that they don't know you like God knows you. You know what he was saying to those young pastors, young preachers? He was saying, guys, you may have an appearance of a certain thing, but God knows you. He knows your weaknesses. He knows your struggles. And the enemy's going to do all that he can to bring you to a place of stumbling. The self-righteous legalist says, I would never get into that. That's not even my struggle. This situation can't faze me. But the spirit-filled believer living by grace understands that no one is immune from falling. He walks in humility because he understands his own weakness. 1 Corinthians 10, 12 says it best. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest that he does not fall. Let me illustrate this for just a moment and I'm gonna move on. Several years ago, when I was pastoring in Christiansburg, there was a group of men that had gathered for a men's, a men's eating snacks, kind of hanging out. And one by one, people were leaving and we were left down to a group of four men. I was one of the four men in the room. And, and there was a gentleman who, who spoke up and he said, I, he said, this probably isn't the time or place, but I need to share something with y'all. We'd gotten to know this brother really well because he had worked with us on our building project and Honestly, he began to practice what I'm recommending and what I'm preaching from Galatians chapter six. He had been dealing with a major sin issue in his life for a long time and he had never told anybody about it. His wife didn't even know, nobody knew. And he began to openly share with the men. So it was this gentleman and three other men. I'll never forget that in that small group of men, there was a gentleman, married, several children, very professional in his career, but believe the Lord was calling him to ministry. And so in recent years, he had been going to school to get his master's degree, believing that God was calling him into full-time ministry. I can't, I, can't, I can't even tell you how many times I've prayed with this gentleman, worshiped with this gentleman. I mean, just love him dearly. We heard this gentleman's confession, so to speak. We talked with him. We prayed with him. We agreed that we were going to meet on a regular basis to pray with him, to hold him accountable. And we began to do that. We were texting scriptures back and forth all the time. And we began to see this guy really blossom and grow. But I'll never forget that the young man who felt that God was calling him to ministry, who had just gotten his master's degree, he felt like he had a lot more that he could offer this gentleman. So apart from the group, they began to meet one-on-one and I remember in that moment seeing some things that concerned me. And I went to that young man. I said, listen, I, I love you. I know you're wanting to help this guy. I think it's awesome. I think it's great. But there are some concerns. I had these red flags. The, I, I don't think you understand fully the weight of this. And frankly, he didn't want to hear it. He didn't want to hear the warnings. He felt like I was kind of overreaching. And what could I possibly know? And that kind of thing. It wasn't good. He continued in the church. Still to this day, one of the saddest moments of ministry and pastoring for almost 20 years was the last year that I was there. I'll never forget him sending me the text and asking me, hey, can we meet for lunch? We met for lunch. I can still see it, walking in, sitting down at that booth and literally looking at his body language. And I knew something, I just knew that something wasn't good. And, and I still remember the wait when he looked at me and said, I'm leaving my wife and we're gonna get divorced. And, and the sad thing about it is I wasn't shocked. And I looked at him literally, and this was, it just came out very bluntly. And I asked, what did you do? And he began to tell me over the last six months, basically, 
how he had begun to do just about everything that the gentleman a year prior had confessed and today was living in victory over and is still living in victory over. Why? Because in Galatians chapter six, he was not looking to himself so that he too would not be tempted. Today, that couple is divorced. He lives in a different state. And frankly, he will likely never fulfill what God called him to do. There's a caution that we must take. And finally, there's a conviction that we must live by. I'll close it up with these verses. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But each one must examine his own work and then he will have reason for boasting in regard to himself alone and not in regard to another. For each one will bear his own load. There's a conviction that we must live by and I'll summarize it hopefully in a very simple way. Sometimes people look at this verse and say, wait a second, doesn't this contradict verse two? Verse two, we're to bear one another's burdens. In verse five, he says, no, you've got your own load to carry. Please understand what is happening is this. In the church of Galatia, there were some who were so self-righteous that they were so caught up in condemning and criticizing and putting down. And because they did that, they looked at themselves and said, we're doing good, we're fine, we've got this. But what God is doing is this, he's painting us a picture. Yes, we minister to those who are hurting. We bear the burdens of those who are, who are being set free. Yes, we help them and restore them. But at the same time, we cannot forsake or neglect or dismiss our own walk with the Lord our own calling before God. Warren Wearsby, the commentator, says it this way. We've got to help people with the burdens that are killing them. And at the same time, we cannot dismiss the soldier's pack that we are called to carry ourselves. You know what he's saying? He's saying, stop comparing, stop competing, stop criticizing, and stop condemning others. And simply look to Jesus being faithful in your own walk. There's a conviction that we must live by. I asked this morning as I opened the message, are you burdened? Now I want to ask you this. Today, is God calling you to be a burden sharer or a burden bearer? Maybe you're here and you're like, man, I, I, I don't even know where I stand. I'm just burdened. Well, if that's you, I want to remind you of the promise of Jesus Christ himself. In Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30, Jesus said it this way. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And what does he promise? You will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You might have burdens today, but I wanna tell you the first place to take them to is to take them to the Lord because he cares for you. He can set you free and he can give rest to your souls. I wanna encourage you today, if you're here today and you are a believer in Jesus, but you're carrying a burden of sin, you don't have to walk it alone. Take it to the Lord, take it to a brother or sister who can encourage you, love you, support you, and pray for you. And finally, you may be here today and God's calling you to be a burden bearer. And frankly, you may already be in a situation and as a result, you find it just exhausting. You're looking at a situation and frankly, it's so messy. There's a part of you that'd love to just bow out and step away from it all. But to you, 
I wanna encourage you to remember what Jesus has done for you. For you that are being called to bear that burden with someone else, remember what Jesus did when he literally left the throne of heaven, stretched out his arms on Calvary's cross and gave his life as a sacrifice in your place and mine. Remember our burden that he bore on the cross and in that, by God's grace and for his glory, go and bear the burdens of others. James chapter five, verses 19 through 20 gives us a wonderful word of reminder. My brethren, if anyone among you strays from the truth and one turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. And I say by God's grace and for his glory, may that be so in our lives today. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the time we have together. Thank you for the reality that even though we have burdens, we don't have to carry them always. We can come to you, Jesus. We can bring them to your feet. We can recognize that you desire to set us free. God, I pray today that there will be some who are set free. Father, I thank you that not only do we have Christ as a savior to save us and set us free, but you've given us one another in the body of Christ to come alongside of each other, to encourage each other, to support each other, to pray for each other, to hold each other accountable, to, to continually direct us in the truth of your word. Thank you, God that we are not alone in this walk. God, there are many of us who feel alone and that might be because of the enemy's attacks and it might be because we've isolated others ourselves, but we don't have to walk through this alone. So God, thank you for that. God, I pray today for those who are that burdened brother or sister by sin, that today would be a day of victory and of deliverance. God, I pray for those today that you're calling to be a burden bearer. Jesus, you willingly went to the cross and gave your all for us. And I pray that through the Holy Spirit's equipping in our life, that we would be faithful to give our all to help others. Father, I pray for us as we bear others' burdens that we would do so in a spirit of love and gentleness and humility, not as a, from a place of arrogance. I pray, God, that as we do so, we would do so with a, a humility of knowing that we are but men, we are but flesh ourselves, and we can easily fall short. God, may we go with a spirit of watchfulness that we too would not stumble and fall. The enemy would love nothing more than destroy us and ultimately rob you of the glory that you deserve. And so, God, may we be faithful to walk with you, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. God, we love you. Have your way right now in our lives. I pray in Jesus' name. Thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. We encourage you to come and join us right here on our campus. We're located right next to the county fairgrounds here in Harrisonburg, Virginia. If you have any questions about the church, any question about the message, feel free to email us or call us and let us know. And we look forward to seeing you soon. God bless you.